We're going through a series right now. It's a short series. We finished Ephesians. Uh, Brian did the first uh, week last week of this series about Jesus, the life, the suffering, the death, and the triumph. These are, it's during the Lenten season, the Lent season that we're in, where we focus on the cross. We focus on what Jesus did and how um, he rising, his rising from the dead is a victory that we sustain life in and we find our victory in as people. So today, uh, last week he did the words of the king. That was last week. This week's the works of the king, which I'm going to cover this morning. And then uh, next Sunday, Palm Sunday, as you guys mentioned, the way of the king, uh, the death of the king is Good Friday, the resurrection of the king. If you need a Bible, we're going to be all over Matthew today. So you're gonna, if you don't have a Bible, grab one. They're going to pass one to you. If you do have a Bible, get it out. Get ready. Get your fingers ready. Stretch them out a little bit. Do some head shake. If you're anywhere close to being asleep, then you need to wake up because we're going to be all over. And if you don't keep up, then you're going to not know we're at in this, in this book of Matthew. Um, this last week, uh, during spring break, my son came back from college. It's his first year in Arizona, and uh, he's at GCU out there. He brought, uh, there was a group, him and his friend Hannah that goes out there that was from this church as well. They had, uh, I think there was 11 of them total. We had a, a house full of guys. Uh, my wife is a beautiful woman. She's very long-suffering, but she's a very patient gal with three sons and me. Um, and then we just, for good measure, threw in an extra, what, five, six college students that are all guys too. So she, we have a female dog. Her name's Daisy. So um, we just, I wanted to balance things out, so hey, this dog has to be female. Um, so anyways, just coming off that, one of, we were talking last night uh, before they left, and one of the guys, Logan, really funny guy, uh, I promised I'd mention him sometime during the sermon today. So this is what I'm doing, I'm using a story that he gave. He's like, hey, what are you, what are you teaching tomorrow? And I'm like, oh, well, I thought I'd do a couple verses anyways, and uh, I'm going to talk about the book of Matthew, <laughs> the whole book. And he's like, oh. Okay, like that was like the whole book. We're going to study the whole book of Matthew today. You guys ready? All right, good. Just making sure before we embark on this. I'm not going solo, or you will have to give me some help. Okay, so let's pray, and let's ask God's blessing on this morning. Father God, as we look at your works through the life of Christ, we want to be grounded, we want to be secure, we want to be stable, we want to be unmovable, we want to be staunch. We want to have our feet shoddy with the readiness of the gospel so that when we are coming and things press against us, God, we are not moved. We pray, God, that as we study your works, that our works would become more fruitful as a result. As we study your works, that we would be more motivated to love you and to serve you and to be excited about you, that we wouldn't be able to rest, that we wouldn't be able to just stay stagnant in our faith, that we would move as you would want us to move that we would serve you, our King, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, God. You are here right now, and you've given us this gift of this account of your life so that we could look at your works today. And I pray, God, that all of us would um, just be brought up, caught up in, in the glory that belongs to you and you alone. For you are our King, and you are a righteous one at that. So we give you the glory this morning. We ask for your blessing. Lord, Holy Spirit, we ask for your presence, that you would awaken our souls, that we could drink deeply of the truth of the Word of God this morning. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So what I have in store for us this morning is we're looking at the works of, the, of King Jesus. And, and uh, Matthew, as a book, while I wanted to stay in Matthew, and actually we're going to look at all these scriptures that I have ahead of you, it's not meant for us to go through each and every one. Obviously, we couldn't do that. But I wanted to give you, like, example up in, on the screen right now is, uh, man, that looks a little blurry. Am I just getting old or is that a little blurry? Um, well, it's a, it's a, I'm old. I set myself up. That was a softball pitch. You guys hit it out. Good. Um, it was actually crying during worship, so maybe that's why I was a little foggy here. Um, the reason why we're looking at the works is we're, we're looking at twofold. We're, we're looking at the works of Jesus in the immediate environment of the internal. When he brings healing, he brings healing internally. Uh, we're looking at externally, like ex, uh, in the environment relationships, how he heals us those ways, how he heals us and changes our circumstances and brings us into a community, and then um, the eternal perspective of his work, the, the works that affect us throughout the ages, throughout eternity future, how we come to faith and, and what that looks like. But it all comes back to the king. We are in a kingdom. 
Uh, we live in a democracy in America. We have representation in our government. They meet together. They're, there's not one person in full authority. At least that's the way the founding fathers would have wanted it. Um, we don't have firsthand experience with kingdoms. But there are still kingdoms on this earth, right? There's people that are familiar with kingdom. They certainly knew what kingdom meant. When you talked about the kingdom of anyone, uh, the main thing about a kingdom is that the kingdom, as a citizen of a particular kingdom, you are at the complete mercy of the, either the benevolence or the evil of your king. Right? You and your life is completely affected by whether the king is good or bad or somewhere in between. If you're blessed enough to be in a good kingdom, that means you have a good king. Think about just for a second of the kingdom you are in if you are a Christian right now. How good is our king? And how good does that make the kingdom of which you are a citizen of? Right now, you have the best king ever and ever will be. You are a citizen of a kingdom that is based on righteousness and purity and joy and love. The banner of which is over the kingdom citizens is one that says love. Does it get better than that, people at Calvary Slow this morning? Is there a better king to have than Jesus? No. So we're looking at his life. We're looking all the way from last week, the words, to the works, to, um, to his, uh, excuse me, the ways of the king and, and what that king looks like and how that affects the kingdom. Ultimately, Good Friday would be the death of the king and then on the resurrection Sunday would be would be the resurrection of our king that gave his life for us in our place, in our stead. And that king sets up a kingdom based on things that we don't see and just people that get power hungry or abuse their power. You know, kings that, give, that have authority and they say, this is the edict and no one challenges you, that's a real dangerous base, place to be as far as authority because it corrupts. Um, you guys have heard the absolute power, what corrupts absolutely. Um, if you study your history books, you know that to be time and time again that, that can be the case. In this case, we're going to look at this King Jesus because we know in looking at King Jesus, we're going to find out more what, the king, what it's like to be a citizen of that kingdom. So we're looking at Matthew who wrote with a specific thing in mind, specific purpose, and he wanted everyone who read his account following to know that Jesus was truly the king that was anticipated, that came in fulfillment of the scriptures, and who was uh, crucified on the cross, rose from the grave, and is coming again in power and dominion and authority at the right hand of God until he comes in that authority, comes to a place of rulership forevermore. Foundations are secure. For example, going back to the book of Isaiah, right? It's like everlasting, right? There's key words to that. Mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. There's these, these images that they were like, we're, we're expecting a king on the scene to take ownership and rulership. And whatever that looked like, they got convoluted here and there in the Gospels. We see that clearly. But we know now from our perspective that this king was meant to rule forever. Part of that was they didn't want to rule and be alone. He wanted to rule and have us with him forever, enjoying him, being in fellowship with him, not just doing religion or religious duties for the sake of trying to earn favor. No, 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 no. The citizens of this kingdom come because they already know they're favored. It's a big difference. You take all the religions of this earth right now and look at them. How many try to get to a certain level where they're actually accepted by God? Our kingdom is based on the fact that we cannot come in that, in that state of being accepted by our own merits. We know that faith is a gift. It's from God. Right? We don't earn it. Who could boast in that if it's a gift? We come based on the righteous act of the king so that we are coming righteous to him based on the king's sacrifice on the cross. So that's why I want to look over some things of the works of Jesus. It's hard to say I'm going to cover the works of King Jesus and not separate it into categories. So that's why I have some of these references up here. If you're taking notes, that's great. You can write some of these down. There's no way we're going to go through them all. But I did want to give you a, just a, a, a just face value of, what, of looking up here how many scriptures Matthew puts in purposefully for us to really think kingdom-wise and king-wise, that Jesus is the king of kings. That's his purpose in writing, and, and I just put a sampling of them. This is no way exhaustive. 
But just go through a few of these scriptures with me, if you will. And then we're going to camp about halfway through the book, not that far, uh, chapter 9 to be exact. We're going to look at that scripture specifically and how it divides up the works of Jesus into the internal, external, and eternal. That's chapter 9. So don't get ahead of me. We're going to get there in a second. Let's look at some of these other scriptures. Just kind of a splash here and there, the book of Matthew, who writes about the king. Okay, Starting with verse 1. The works of Jesus involved him coming in the flesh. It says, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Uh, that's purposeful writing on the part of Matthew, who would link Jesus back to Abraham, the father of all faith, the father of the Jews. In particular, though, he says somebody before Abraham, which is significant, not just the father of faith, but before that, the son of David. Why is that significant? Because David is the king of Israel. He always was referred to as the, the king of Israel. But there was one coming in the likeness of King David that would arrive on the scene. And Matthew wants to make sure that we know that Jesus came, not just happenstance, not just because he was born in a certain area, but because he was prophesied to come as the coming one, the king of Jesus would be like the kingdom of David. But in this case, it would be never-ending. So right off the bat, Matthew's first sentence makes reference to Jesus Christ, the Savior, the Anointed One, who would be the son of David. That would tell the reader, if they had a Jewish perspective, they're coming from a period of, or in the communion of the fellowship of Israel, would know right away, wait a second, he did say the son of David. We're talking Messiah. We're talking Christ. We're talking the Anointed One. That's interesting. Matthew starts out with that. But he's talking about a king. So go, go to... Uh, the part of coming in the flesh, fulfilled prophecy. Let's look at a couple of these. Jump down to 21. And she, the virgin, will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, Jehovah saves, for he will save his people from their sins. So if you want to summarize why did Jesus, or what was the work of Jesus, this tells us straight out. Matthew says, the king will be a son. He will be born. He will take on flesh. And you shall call his name Jesus, and he will save his people from their sins. That's the purpose of him coming. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. So this isn't just like any other king. This is God as king. Huge difference. God is king, and man is king are light days apart, light years apart. So this was in fulfillment of the scripture. Look at two, verses four through six. When Herod, or three, when Herod the king heard this about Jesus coming on the scene, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Why? Because he was threatened with a kingship that was coming on the scene that was prophesied. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ, the promised one, was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So he will be a king, he will rule, but he will shepherd. Okay, look at, uh, look at uh, chapter 12. Flip over to chapter 12 of Matthew. It's all in the same book. So you're just going chapters back and forth with me, okay? Chapter 12, verse 17. That it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, Behold, my servant, whom I have chosen, my beloved, in whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he will declare justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel, nor cry out, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and smoking flax he will not quench, till he sends forth justice to victory in his name. Gentiles will trust. Uh, flip over to chapter 21, starting in verse 2. Jesus said to them, uh, to his disciples, Go to the village opposite you, and immediately you'll find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. What day is this? It's Palm Sunday. We're getting ready, right? He's going to come into Jerusalem. He's orchestrating all these things according to a plan. And it says, verse 3, And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord, the king, Kyrios is the word. It's king versus slave. This is the king has need of them. 
and immediately he will send them. So did Jesus know who he was as king? You bet it. You better believe it. He says the king has need of them. The Kyrios has need of them in the Greek. It says, all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, tell the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, but lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. Indeed, Jesus did when he entered Jerusalem, went up on the back of a donkey in fulfillment of the scriptures. So not only was he fulfilling scriptures, but in here, in this instance, he's saying he's orchestrating it so that it does happen to fulfill scripture in complete accordance to what the prophets had said prior. But it's all based on the kingship of Jesus. The kingship of Jesus. Okay, let's go to how his works demonstrate his power and authority. Um, Go to chapter 4. And go to uh, verse 23 and t- through 25. This is actually um, a summary at this point of Matthew summarizing what's going on. How this king is actually becoming very popular. And what he was doing as king who is in authority over heaven and earth. And it says in verse 23 of chapter 4, Jesus went about all Galilee, all northern Israel, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the what? Kingdom. And healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. This man has authority against all things sickness related. All things, and it says in 24, his fame went throughout all Syria. They brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments. And those who were demon possessed. And epileptics and paralytics and he healed them. Great multitudes followed him. For good measure, don't you think? From, for good reason, I should say. From Galilee, from the capitalists, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. This king is becoming popular. Why? Because he has authority and he's demonstrating it all over the place. He's going and he's like touching people. Were, the infirmities were such, they didn't have the local clinic to walk into. They, they were completely dependent upon naturopathic things that worked or didn't work, depending on the severity of which, if your spinal cord was cut, or your vertebrae would crush the nerves in your back and you couldn't walk. There wasn't some clinic you could go to or a hospital emergency room. You were destitute. You were down and laid up and you didn't get well unless some sort of act of God or some kind of gifted person came your way. Well, lo and behold, they hear of somebody on the scene who's not just doing an occasional miracle, but it says here in this case in Matthew, he's saying, hey, how fast would word travel, in other words, of, a, of someone with authority who can speak to an infirmity, demon-possessed, paralytic, epileptic, all these things you're starting to see him move. And, and how fast would word spread about a man like that on the scene? Man, if you have an ailment or you have a loved one that has an ailment in this case and you hear somebody's on the scene ready to touch and all you have to do is say the word and they're healed, how quick would you get on your donkey and head on over? Would you run? Would you walk? Would you carry the paralytic? Certainly would. You got to get to this guy. We don't... We don't have, hey, let's, you know, where's the GPS? Okay, Jesus, he's going from this house. Okay, we could probably cut him off there. You know, it was like, we got to go to Galilee. I hear he's in Capernaum. And, and Lord, please let us find him. That kind of thing. But we got to get there, right? The, this is where the healings were taking place. And you better believe the king with authority on display of that authority is going to attract crowds. The problem is they're coming for various reasons, aren't they? Because whenever you get somewhere where blessing is flowing out, there's a number of reasons why people are going to go to that fountain. It's not always what God would want. If I'm giving to my kids different treats, we have Treat Thursday. Uh, We've done that for a while. If if I'm giving treats and my son starts saying, Dad, not that this has ever happened before, I don't want that. I want this. And I'm like, it's Treat Thursday. This is awesome. You don't, you're not guaranteed to get anything. And we're here at Costco getting ice cream. And you want something else. Well, all of a sudden, my joy in giving that blessing to my son, not that this ever happens, is it starts going down, doesn't it? When you want to bless, you want people coming for the right reasons and to be grateful for the blessing, do you not? If not, there's something off. It doesn't work. It's, it's a disconnect. But when there is joy and you're coming to the gift giver with praise and gratitude and thanks, and think about this, people coming to get healed just to get healed with no reference to the healer. In other words, 
give me my ticket, my lotto ticket, as long as I have it in hand, I'm out of here, without saying thank you for the giver of that lotto ticket is pretty offensive, isn't it? But how glorious it is when you go to the king who's giving out these gifts and you're like, God, whether you healed me or not, you have authority. And I receive what you give me and I'm thankful for it. And if you decide not to, I'm still thankful. Think about Jesus when he says, I have not found this much faith in all Israel. Who is he talking to? He was talking to a centurion who said, hey, I have authority. I know what it's like to be in control. In other words, I know what it's like to be in a such and such, in a kind of way, a king with power. He said, I, go, I tell this guy to go that way, and he goes. I tell this guy to go that way, and he goes. I, I want something, I say, go get that for me, and they come back and they give it to me. I know what authority's like, and I'm just a man. He's all, you can, you can just say the word, my servant shall be healed, and we're, you know, Jesus is like astonished. It says he's astonished at the guy's faith. He said, I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel. Why? Because he was making a connection between Jesus and his authority as king and who's really in control of not only the guys that are in his vicinity, but all circumstances, no matter whether he's present or not. You can just say the word, Jesus, I get it. That's what the centurion, not a Jew, right? coming to him and saying, I know what it's like to have authority, and I've never seen authority like yours. I know that you can say, because you're, you're ruler of this whole thing, just say the word, and he'll should be, he, should, he shall be healed. It's, a, it's an amazing thing. You know, I was raised Catholic. When, when in the Catholic Mass, there's a part where you say, Lord, I'm not worthy to receive you, but only say the word, and I shall be healed. I memorized that. I didn't know what it meant until I got into college. And when I found out that it's in that centurion story, where it comes from, you better believe I was like flabbergasted and so Filled with worship. But I had missed it my whole life, what it really meant. It was like the authority is right in front of me, but I didn't get it. It's kind of like that way when we just go to God for what we want, but we miss the giver in the process. So I don't really know what it means to go to the king. Anyways, all this to say, he's healing. It's demonstrating his power and authority. As king, he has every right to teach his citizens, right? So the next column is... The Sermon on the Mount, chapter 5 through chapter 7, is a perfect example of the king giving the edict, the manifesto, if you will, to his citizens of his kingdom, which we receive to this day, the most famous sermon. But check this out. How does Jesus the king start out his sermon about how his citizens should live? It says, in seeing the multitudes, chapter 5, verse 1, he went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him, and, they, and then he opened his mouth, and he taught them. And he says what? First, right out the gate, he says, blessed are the what? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Okay, what? this is going to be a lot different than what I thought, right? That's what people are thinking. Uh, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What's next? Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure at heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Aren't you glad you have a king who teaches like that and says, this is the, this is the best of the kingdom? Or, this is the stuff. If you're mourning, you're going to be rejoicing. If you're meek, you're in a great place. If, if you're pure, you're going to see God. You know, these kind of things, like, I want to hear the king say that. Not how I'm going to pay taxes. Not how um, I'm, I have no control, and if, if he wants to take all my property and my, and my people too, he can. You know, we're talking about things that Jesus is saying to these people. They're used to, 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 to kingdoms of the world taking advantage of them. And in this time, obviously, Rome has occupied this whole territory, so they know not only that it's at the will of the king what happens in my life, but they know what it's like to be on the bad side of that, being just used, property, whatever. We're not in control. And then you have a king arrive on the scene. He says, here's what you're going to be like in the kingdom. Here's, what, here's the ideals in my kingdom as king would have it. Blessed are the poor in spirit. They see their need when they come to God. Blessed are those who mourn. Yeah, they're going to be comforted. Wonderful, wonderful blessings of these things. He just starts out the sermon like that, and then he goes on into all kinds of areas as we're familiar with. So he teaches, and rightfully so. Go to chapter 25 with me under this category, and we're almost finished with this part. Again, I'm just highlighting here and there in this wonderful book about a king. Did I say 23 or 25? Um, 
well, let's just get a taste of how he is with the leadership. 23-23. This is just part of a, of a, of a dialogue between him um, and the crowds. But he's talking specifically to the leaders of the day of the religious system. And he says, 23, he says, Woe to you, leaders. He calls them scribes and Pharisees. That, that was the leadership of the day. He calls them straight out hypocrites. Hypocrites. You, you think you know what you're talking about, but you're doing the exact opposite of what the king would want. For you pay tithe of mint and anise and kumith and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. Blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. Boy, this guy, this Jesus is not mincing words, is he? He has every right to come in and tell the leaders they're completely wrong. They're missing it. They're hypocritical. They're like whitewashed tombs. The king can say that. We can't. We can't see the heart, but the king certainly can, can't he? And he's saying you're missing it. I'm the one in authority, and you're missing it. Go to 25, verse 34. Talk about authority. In fact, just start at 31. This son of man reference, by the way, uh, there's scriptures in the book of Daniel. If you have uh, time this week, go to Daniel and read about the son of man and how he's described. It's, it's insane when Jesus makes that reference to himself, which he often does, that he's really saying a lot here as far as authority and who's really truly on the throne and who's in control and powerful. But he says, when the son of man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand and the goats on the left. Then the king, the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry. And you gave me food, and I was thirsty, you gave me drink, and I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you, the king? When did we see that? When did we see you, a stranger, take you in, or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say, to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Wow. Then he will also say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, you gave me no food. I was thirsty, you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, you didn't take me in. Naked, you didn't clothe me. Sick and in prison, you didn't visit me. Then he will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? And then he will answer him saying, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. That is authority, is it not? He's like, I got two groups. They're on either side. Some I'm going to say, you have the kingdom. The king has purchased it for you and you have every right to inherit it. You have been doing consistently with what the king would want. His edicts have gone forth and you've heeded those edicts and you're actually living appropriately to those edicts. And then he's going to say to the ones on the left, you are going to suffer as you have not released the sufferer of the sufferings around you. And you did it, know me. That's authority, final authority, eternal authority that we're talking about. Jesus doesn't mess around. He knows who he is, and he says it clearly. Okay. These next, I'm just going to list up here, but there's just a couple I want to highlight, and then we're going to come down to Matthew 9 and spend the rest of our time there. This, we've already had examples of him correcting the political and religious leaders of his day, but there's some scriptures of examples of it. He, does it, he, does, he comes in direct conflict with both, obviously. But he's, he tells of a coming suffering and victory. So go to chapter 13. You guys aren't tired of going through Matthew, are you? Just getting started, right? Come on now, stay with me. All right, let's do this. Uh, 13, 53, 53 through 57. The works of Jesus telling of his coming, suffering, and victory. You know, this is what it is coming down to, the focus of it. It says, came into pass when Jesus had finished these parables that he departed from there. And when he had come to his own country, he taught them in their synagogue so that they were astonished and said, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and his brothers James, Joseph, 
Simon and Judas and his sisters? Are they not with us? When did, where then did this man get all these things? There, what, what's their real question there? It's like, this guy's too common to be a king. Where does he get this authority? And it's verse 57 said, so they were offended at him. But Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own country and in his own house. Now he did not do many mighty works there because of their what? Their unbelief. Do you see the connection? Saying you guys want a king with the papers and everything set up. But if you really knew who I was, you would know that I am the king. And, and then it says that he was limiting his expression of his authority in their midst because why? Because of their unbelief. Guys, we can't be the same. We can't be the same. We have to believe in our God. Chapter 9 is a perfect example of that. We'll get to it in a second. Now f- flip over to uh, chapter 20, verse 17 through 19. A quick scripture here. Son of Man again reference. Chapter 20, verse 17. Now Jesus, going up to Jerusalem, took the twelve disciples aside on the road and said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn, condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and ultimately to crucify. And the third day then, he will rise again. So now we have Jesus moving into this, this situation where he's plainly telling them what's going to happen to the king. The king is not going to be treated as he deserves to be treated. But it's all with a purpose. It's all with a function. It's all with predetermined steps that Jesus wants them to know about in advance. So why? So they wouldn't lose heart. To see their king in, in, in a, basically a defeatist posture. The defeated, uh, the poor, the naked, the lonely, the, the stricken. They're going to see their king succumb to these offensive uh, efforts to crucify. Can you imagine your king doing that? How would you feel at that point? He wants them to know what's going to happen. And he also wants them to know that that's not the final story. The final story is he will rise on the third day. This king cannot be defeated. Get that? He's like, this is what's going to happen to your king. You're going to want to lose heart and be discouraged and run away. But guess what? The the end of the story is this. He will rise on the third day. So, all that. There's some more scriptures, obviously, how he saves his people, the works of him. That he rises, that was part of his work. He gives his disciple a command to go into all the nations. Because he says, in fact, turn there. Look how, this, look how Matthew bookends his uh, book here, his account of Jesus. It's so amazing because it's all tied into the king. He starts out with this, Jesus Christ, the son of David, the king coming. Here's how he ends it. Chapter 28, the Great Commission. You guys are mostly familiar with this, where he says, Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, into the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All what? Authority. All authority has been given to me in heaven as well as on earth. Go, therefore, in light of this fact, make disciples of all the nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. The King has commanded you. I want others to know what I've commanded. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the edge of the age. Amen. Amen? That's how he bookends the book, the account of Jesus. Jesus Christ, the Son of David. All authority has been, on heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. Tell other people about the King. Tell other people about how glorious a King who gave his life for you and who rose again from the dead the dead, never to be defeated. That is the book of Matthew. Now, all that being said, as Pastor Brian would say, all that would be my introduction. (laughs) Now, that's said in respect, because I love that brother and how he teaches us through the Word, aren't you? Aren't you thankful? If If it's your first week, just stick around, you'll know what I'm talking about soon enough. God bless him. He has a lot to say, and we're blessed by it. So, chapter 9. Let's look at this scripture. This, to me, epitomizes the whole book. And getting into the boat, verse 1, that is Jesus, he crossed over and came to his own city. And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, 
Your sins are forgiven. And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, this man is blaspheming. He's blaspheming. Which means what? It means he's claiming to be God. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, rise and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He then said to the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and he went home. And the crowd saw it and they were afraid and they glorified God who had given such authority to men. Jesus the King brings healing, brought healing to this paralytic and he brings healing to us internally. In other words, he strengthened his body from the inside, his soul, his spirit was all strengthened. He brought healing externally in that he had a newfound life that he could explore relationships on his own. He could go where he'd want to. He'd want to hang out with so-and-so. He could. He wanted to be with family. He could join the reunion. Wouldn't have to be dependent on other people. His whole external circumstances of raising money for himself and being independent in that way was all affected. So you have the internal healing brought by Jesus the King. You have the external uh, effects of that healing. And then also, and most importantly, you had the eternal healing of that, or effects of that healing. So that's what I'm going to finish talking about. I want to ask you the rhetorical question. What's easier for Jesus to say? Your sins are forgiven or take up your mat and walk? What's easier to say? What's that? Okay. It's a yes, no. It's a yes, also. It's a, uh uh-huh. It's easier to say, obviously Jesus would point to them. He knows what's in their hearts. It's easier to say your sins are forgiven. Why? Because if you say get up with your mat and walk, you're going to know right away whether he has authority to say that. They're questioning his kingship, and thereby they're questioning whether he has authority to be God. Because he says... Your sins are forgiven. Only who forgives sin? That's God. So if Jesus says, I am forgiving you of your sin, not may your sins be forgiven by Jehovah. If he's saying, your sins are forgiven, the leaders know that's, those are key words. Those are highlighted words that says, I am God. And if he says, I am God, you either deny that, but you can't really prove it in that moment whether he's right or not. Do you get what I mean? The king can say whatever he wants. He has full authority to do it, and he does. Jesus is not, you know, he's not holding back here. He's saying, your sins are forgiven, and he means it. This man's sins were forgiven. But it's definitely easier to say than take up your mat and walk. Why? Because if he says that, and he doesn't, then Jesus can be discarded. See? You don't have any authority. You're not the king. The king has full authority. Isaiah said there would be an everlasting kingdom and the king has to rule everlastingly and he has to have authority. So if you don't have authority, you can't heal. Jesus knew they were were testing him. Now, here's the thing. If you think about it one more level deep, check this out. It's not actually easier to say your sins are, are forgiven or your sins are cleansed. Why? Because all through the Jewish experience, going back to the Passover, which we're celebrating even this week, What was required for sins to be truly forgiven? Atonement. Blood. Blood is required for the remission of sins. That's why you had a Passover lamb brought into the home. That's how come the blood of the lamb was spilled and put over the doorpost. It's because something had to die that was pure. It had to be a pure and spotless lamb, remember? Now, when Jesus says your, your sins are forgiven... It's harder to say that because of what has to transpire, transpire in the heavenlies before the throne of God for that to be true than to say, I have authority for you to be healed in your body. On an eternal stage, Jesus knows the cost of saying your sins are forgiven is that you have to have a sacrifice for sin. The only sufficient sacrifice is a spotless lamb, a man who has not sinned in place of the sinner. 
And if your sins are going to be cleansed, not just covered, that was the difference between year and year out sacrifices at the tabernacle or the temple, was that they happened every year. Why? Because if you read the book of Hebrews, it's very clear. It was inferior a sacrifice to the one true Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world and can actually cleanse a person from their sins, not just cover them up temporarily. You with me? So when Jesus said, what's easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or rise up and walk, the reality that we don't get as people is that that's harder. This is my commentary on it. That's harder than to say get up and walk because it doesn't require the sacrifice to be true of his own blood and the cross and and the scourging and his best friend taking a hike and going exit stage door left because of fear for their own life. Total rejection. Crying on the cross saying, Father, you know, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, why have you forsaken me? He knows it's to come. How do we know that? Because he was telling his disciples plainly, this is what's going to happen. Three days later, I'm going to rise though. So he knew exactly what was going to happen. He had to face that. And so when he tells that paralytic, get up and walk, it's to prove that not only is he serious in having authority, but that he's willing to go to the cross so that his sins can be priority number one, forgiven. That's the real need. That's the real need for all of us. Some paralytics get up and walk. Sometimes he says, rise and walk, and sometimes you go through a whole life and you never walk again. But if Jesus is taking care of care of the most important issue, which is our sin before him, not defiling us and being part of the group that says, apart from me, to everlasting torment, we actually are able, whether we can walk physically or not, whether we're prone to a mat or not, we can go before the throne and actually be found righteous, having all of our sin cleansed once and for all by Jesus the King, laying down his own life and letting his own blood spill out so that our sins could be covered and totally purified as if they didn't even exist. That is the true priority of, of, of the works of the king. It comes down to that, that he made it so that when you go before God and the Son of Man, again, the scriptures in Daniel gives this image of the Son of Man coming and his eyes are like fire seeing right through you. His hair and his clothing, brilliant, more brilliant white, emanating from just a glorious condition that you've ever seen before in the whitest of clothes. And his sword coming out of his mouth. I mean, the, the, the Son of Man picture in Daniel, for him to say the Son of Man's going to come not to, not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many, actually goes counter to the images you get like in Daniel where the Son of Man comes in full authority and full view of who he is and his magnificence and his power and everything. So when Jesus says, I'm going to go to the cross, I'm going to die, it didn't resonate with, wait a second, I've read about the Son of Man in the Old Testament. If you're the Son of Man, then you should be ruling, reigning, in full authority, in view of everyone. Jesus had, obviously, a different plan. Why? Because he wanted the paralytics and all of us to have our sins be forgiven. Truly forgiven. You will see the King, I will see the King. We will bow our knee to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. But when we do, we're going to be so comforted by the fact that we're his child as much as a citizen of his kingdom. We're a child, son, or daughter, bought by the king's own blood. Not a kingdom like we've ever known before. Because people are corrupt. Their hearts go astray. They're like sheep. But our king stays true to his mission. He came to save people from their sins. And he did it to the end. And when we, when we celebrate Good Friday, when we celebrate Easter, we're celebrating that king that doesn't look like any other kings. It celebrates things like being poor in the spirit. But oh, what a great celebration it is to say, you are our king and you reign from all eternity past, eternity future. You're the one that can totally take our sin upon your shoulders at the cross and pay because you were perfect. We were not. Our sin was on you. You cleansed us. And that was a finished work finished work. The work of Christ is a finished work. So that he could sit down. Yeah. So that he could sit down at the right hand of the Father in full authority. 
and full righteousness and bring a whole bunch of kids with them. A whole bunch of kids with them. That's the work of Christ that we celebrate. So, whether or not we rise with our mats, okay? Whether or not our loved ones rise with their mats. People that are in that condition are totally, completely dependent most often on the people around them and their, and their love for them. This paralytic, as uh, talked about in Mark's gospel, is actually the paralytic lowered down by his friends where they busted through the ceiling to get because of the crowds they couldn't get to Jesus. They, I don't know how far they brought the paralytic on his mat, but they're carrying him the whole way because they love him apparently. And they said, well, there's no room to get to Jesus. The one who can heal, the, we're getting to the king somehow. They go up on the roof and they start taking tiles off. And then you know the rest of the story. They lower the, the, the paralytic down. And, and then Jesus, it says even in Matthew right here, it says he saw their faith, their faith, the group's faith, Let's bring the sick person. However we have to get to Jesus, let's just do it. Let's interrupt his sermon. Let's make everybody else mad at us. It doesn't matter. We just want to see healing take place. And then they lower him down, and lo and behold, Jesus says, not your take up your mat and walk. He did that another time, but he said, your sins are forgiven. Now, if the guy's in the right place in heart, he's rejoicing, whether or not the rest happens. You with me? But if, he, if he's not in the right place, he's like, ah, that's great, but I really want to get up. Right? Now, here's the key. Jesus cares about it all. But he has a priority. And the priority is sins need cleansing. The priority, because get this, the paralytic's going to die. Once he's done with this time on earth, or once we're done on this time of earth, we're going to be dancing like nobody's business, celebrating the king. We're going to be dancing, guys. So it's temporal. Our temporal afflictions can't be compared to the future glory revealed to us, right? Or in us. There's a reason for that. Because we're all going to be dancing. So hey, if you're in that situation, you have loved ones in that situation where you're waiting for Jesus just to say, yes, I'm willing, be healed. In your infirmities, whether it's mental, spiritual, conditional, on your body, I would just say, hold on. Because whether or not he heals you, he has still done the finished work of cleansing you from your sin if you're in Jesus. And that is invaluable, right? You can't put a price on that. I would much rather be an invalid and have my sins forgiven than to be walking and not be a part of Christ, the King, the King of all kings. Amen? I don't, I don't care if I'm lying down the rest of my life. Now, when you see people are in that condition and they're still worshiping the king because he's worthy regardless of the answered prayers and we've, we've experienced a lot of answered prayer lately and I'm, I'm so grateful but I'll, I'll give you one last story and that is uh, my son Mitchell was home for spring break we went to go see Jared you guys know Jared he's now finding himself in this kind of situation he spent five months if you're not familiar with the story one of our high school students in our youth group um, a player that played on our baseball team and, and good friends of my, of my son uh, we went over because he's home now after five months in the hospital. And he had a brain hemorrhage. For those of you who don't know, he had a tumor on his brain stem. It bled and it caused all these complications. He was in intensive care for months. Just got home. Amazing home, by the way. If you guys helped out in any way, it's awesome how they made that home ready for his wheelchair and such because that's what he, his right side isn't working, basically. So he can lift his leg. We watched him do it. This, on his right side, he can, he can use his quad muscles to pull it up, but he has to have gravity to take it back down. And he has some braces on and such, and his arms are braced and whatnot. But, you know, before, before all this, when he was on my uh, baseball team, we would be in practice, and he hadn't played that much before, but he was such a willing guy to... One of the, I mean, he was literally one of the... Ni- I mean, he was so nice, you guys. Uh, he is still nice, but in the past tense, before his whole thing with his, with his hemorrhage and everything in his brain... I, it, it, you would meet him, and you would be struck with how nice he was. Just like, man, how's Jared so nice? He gets hit with a ball left and right on ground ball drills and stuff, and he was just like, sorry, coach, I'll try it better next time. That kind of kid, you know, you're just like, how are you so nice? Like, it's just amazing. You're exceptionally nice. Loves God, the whole nine yards. So if anybody's going to be blessed with God on a total, like, fleshly level, it's going to be Jared, right? Well, then all this happens. His, God, his parents love the Lord. It's, the sisters love the Lord. I mean, it's just, it's just one of those things where you're like, why, God? Why did that happen? Um, but anyways, so 
we went over on, um, I think it was Friday, my son and I, and I said, hey, Frank, um, that's his dad. I said, would, my son and I would love to come see Jared and hang out with him. And I, put a, I put a picture of it on Instagram and Facebook. Those guys are friends with me. You probably saw it. Where it's my son and Jared, and Jared's got a huge smile on his face. And I tell you, he hasn't lost one ounce of joy in his, in his face or his in his spirit or his disposition than before his whole thing, trauma. I mean, it's amazing. He, uh, my uh, son walks in, he's all, hey, Jared, how's it going? What are you doing? And he goes, just chilling. <laughs> smile on his face. I'm like, oh, my God. I, I know, I've been studying all this about the paralytic, right? And I'm going, and he's, unless something changes, unless God does a miracle, he, he's going to have some complications with that right side, and wheelchair included. And so I was just like, Jared, you are, you're just amazing. And his, his dad's amazing, and they're full of hope and faith and just saying, yeah, this isn't what God chose. I mean, this is what God allowed, but he didn't make Jared like this. But we're just facing one day at a time, and, and, and we're, we're thankful to have community around us. And, and we just know that God's got a better plan. I'm just like, Jared, one day you're going to be dancing, buddy. It's not in this world. It's going to be in the next because you love Jesus, and he just gets a big smile on his face. I'm just like, man, I want to be like that. You know, that's where it really means reality, right? You get tested like that, and you're still smiling, and, and you're not pointing fingers and raising the clenched fist to God saying, why, how can this be so? How could you be king and let your servants suffer? And when you get melted with the fact that Jesus beat you to the suffering for your sake, so that eternally speaking, you can be whole, you lay down your arms, and you lay down your complaints. And it's not easy. I'm not trying to say that it's easy, but it's what God will because he's so good. Amen? And, and Jared serves as that example to me right now. And uh, so I encourage you with these things, the works of Christ, the works of our King. Let's celebrate that. Let's get into it this season especially. Let's have the worship team come up now. And let's celebrate. I encourage you to celebrate with communion. Uh, it's in the back if you guys want. I would say unless communion has happened in your heart, on the way to the table, or before that, then don't partake. In other words, if Jesus is Lord of your life, in your heart, then partake of the communion. Partake of the communion. But if, if not, if you're not a Christian, if you yet have to give your life to him, the table is closed. But it's not because it's not a, in, an invitation with your name on it right there, waiting for you to come. It's, you just have to come before, because it's symbolic, the bread of his broken body for you, the king, and, and the spilled blood, the juice. And, and when you go back there, taking the bread and dipping it in the juice is symbolic of you receiving, literally receiving uh, the finished work of Christ. That's for your benefit. And if you haven't come to that place yet, just we have people over here to pray with you. Just go over and get some prayer. Or just do a simple prayer yourself from your heart. God knows what you're trying to pray and communicate to Him. Uh, he's listening to that. I just encourage you to do that before. And then celebrate with the communion, knowing that the finished work is for you as much as for anybody else. Amen?